strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Jen. And I'm Robin. And tonight, I'm going to talk about the Fox Sisters and the beginning of spiritualism in America. Fox Sisters. I've actually never heard of them, so this is brand new to me. So for those of you who do not know anything about this story or spiritualism, um, there's a lot a lot coming at you. But most importantly, I'm going to go ahead and just apologize for my very deep and raspy voice. I have uh, <laughs> had a cold for the past week or so, and I'm getting over it. And now we've uh, gone into full sexy phlegm. All right. So, you know, there's different kinds of uh, fads that come and go throughout history. This is one that took the country by storm. You just never know what's going to be, what's going to grab people, what's going to hold on, what little spark will cause a fire. But in the bedroom of two young girls, there came a religious movement that changed the face of the mid-19th century in America. In a farmhouse in Hydesville, New York, on a day in late March of 1848, these two girls, Maggie and Kate, 14 and 11 respectively, caught the attention of a neighbor and begged them to come over to their house to see the strange, odd, and frightening phenomenon that was going on in their home. They explained that every night around bedtime, they heard a series of raps on the walls and furniture, raps that seemed to manifest with a peculiar, otherworldly intelligence. So during the night of March 31st, Kate challenged the invisible noisemaker, presumed to be a spirit, to repeat the snaps of her fingers. It did. It also was asked to rap out the ages of the girls. It did. The neighbors were called in. Over the course of the next few days, a code was developed where the raps could signify yes or no in response to any question that was asked. They could indicate like a letter of the alphabet. Like the first gold hunters. Yes. So the girls addressed the spirit as Mr. S- Mr. Splitfoot. Oh, sure. Which is a nickname for the devil. Later, the alleged entity creating the sounds claimed to be the spirit of a peddler named Charles Rosna, who was murdered five years earlier and buried in their cellar. <laughs> how, how long have they lived there? these are all fine questions robin (laughs) yeah 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 so um one person who wrote about the fox sisters pretty pretty frequently was uh arthur conan doyle of sherlock holmes fame he claimed that the neighbors actually dug up the cellar and found pieces of bone what are their neighbors doing digging up a basement in someone else's house Apparently, these neighbors were quite good friends because it seems like they were pretty I'm involved. your friend. I'm not going to dig up your basement. I mean, I think Unless you, you asked me to. Exactly. Did they ask? <laughs> I don't really know. I don't really know. I didn't learn too much about, like, the family dynamic of the Fox sisters. Mm-hmm. But I do know these two young girls had this thing that was going on and happening. And their skeptical neighbor came over, saw it for themselves, and... Took the investigation upon right. themselves, basically. Right. So... The neighbor's in the house. The neighbor has now seen it. One of the recounts of that night with the neighbor goes a little something like this. So the two girls are laying in bed. Their mom, Margaret, was also there. And she began the demonstration. And she said, now count to five. She ordered the spirit. And the spirit did five heavy thuds. Count to 15, she commanded. The presence obeyed. Um, She asked it to wrap out the number that was the age of the neighbor it did 33 distinct raps and i was like so the neighbor you just expect is going to be an old person and it's like she's 33 and i'm like she's like younger than me anyway (laughs) so then she asked if you're an injured spirit 
manifest by three raps. And it did. Margaret Fox, who is the mother, did not seem to consider the date of March 31st, which was April Fool's Eve, or the possibility that her daughters were not really, didn't really seem frightened. They were pretty chill in the presence of this unseen entity that's answering questions and And rapping on their door, right? Just seems like you would probably be a little nervous about it. So the Fox family deserted the home and... Maggie and Kate were sent to live with their older sister, Leah Fox Fish, in Rochester. And that's where the story would have ended. Except that Rochester at the time was a hotbed for reform and religious activity. Within that area of New York State, there had been the birth of Mormonism and Millerism, which was the precursor to Seventh-day Adventism, which we spoke about significantly during the, um, the Kellogg oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. family. Community leaders in Rochester, Isaac and Amy Post, were intrigued by the Fox sisters' story and by the subsequent rumor that the spirit likely belonged to a peddler who had been murdered in the farmhouse. A group of Rochester residents examined the cellar of Fox's home, uncovering strands of hair and what appeared to be bone fragments. The Posts invited the girls to a gathering at their home, anxious to see if they could actually communicate with spirits in a different place, not just in that house. Though skeptical... Isaac was quickly swayed when he heard a distinct thumping that appeared to answer questions and follow directions quite well. He was further convinced when Leah Fox also proved to be a medium, communicating with the Post's recently deceased daughter. The Post's were like, this is insane. Everyone needs to see this. They're able to talk to your dead relatives. Your dead relatives are able to give you advice from the afterlife. They're able to... I'm just picturing Whoopi Goldberg and Ghost. I mean, (laughs) that's certainly... (laughs) The first thing about the mat. Oh, Whoopi. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pi, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the uh, get to know you at a deeper level the who, what, when, where, and why you are, rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting if they have kids, what shapes their marriages if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends, so for me, it's, you know. Try to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to (laughs) podcasts on. Yeah, podcasts, homecasts. Your your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. So the Post rented the largest hall in Rochester, and 400 people came to witness the girls perform their act of mysterious, these mysterious noises as they contacted the other side. After the show, Amy Post took the sisters into a private chamber where they were met by a committee of skeptics, and the girls were disrobed and examined, and there was found to be no evidence of a hoax. Well, what, what kind of things were they looking for in the late 1800s? I mean, I, I, I don't know. You know? It's yeah. like... Well, Something. Two pieces of wood, like, between shoes that they could knock together. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So I guess this is probably as good a place as any to explain what this is all about. Um, so this is all about the idea of spiritualism. Mm-hmm. 
which was a religious movement or is still, I guess, you know, it's not gone. A religious movement based on the belief that spirits of the dead exist and have both the ability and the inclination to communicate with the living. The afterlife or the spirit world is seen by spiritualists, uh, not as a static place, but one where spirits continue to evolve. These two beliefs that contact with spirits is possible and that spirits are more advanced than humans leads spiritualists to a third belief that spirits are capable of providing useful knowledge about moral and ethical issues, as well as about the nature of God. So some spiritualists will talk about the idea of a spirit guide, Mm -hmm. um, that specific spirits can be contacted and relied upon for advice. So spiritualism developed and reached its peak, its growth in membership from 1840s to 1920s, uh, especially in English-speaking countries. By 1897, spiritualism was said to have 8 million followers in the United States and Europe, mostly drawn from middle and upper class families. Spiritualism flourished for half a century without canonical texts or formal organization, attaining cohesion through periodicals, tours by trans lecturers, camp meetings, missionary activities that all went on by these mediums who traveled around. So most of the prominent spiritualists at that time were women. And like most spiritualists, they supported causes such as the abolition of slavery and women's suffrage. So most of them were women, and this role actually offered an escape from the persistent indignities of domestic life. So this is a time when women are property of their husbands. Mm. You cannot cheat. You cannot get divorced. You, once you're married, that's what you do. You keep a home. You have children. You are property of your husband and Everything that you do reflects upon him in society. Mm -hmm. So this was a thing that women did that was very different at the time. Rebellious in a way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very rebellious. And but because it had to do with religion, then it was okay. okay. So spiritualism gave women a platform, uh, one that came with a certain amount of power and freedom and equality that was absent in regular everyday contemporary society. This practice also cultivated an air of mystery around the medium, which in turn drew attention of both men and women in ways seemingly impossible in other professions. So they were able to attain wealth and fame and they could travel and they could be on their own. They could make their own decisions. So in looking at the early years of the feminist movement, you could actually say that this was one of the first Sounds like, like acts it, yeah. of feminism. Uh, the names of female Victorian era spiritualists that remain synonymous with the profession Emma Britton and Victoria Woodhull, which I've mentioned before. Um, she actually was the first woman to run for president, whose running mate was Frederick Douglass. So, and then mm-hmm. Leah Fox Fish, who was the sister that they went to live in Rochester, she continued throughout. So all of these women would test the boundaries of feminism well before the suffragettes and the suffragists of the early 20th century. In fact, many female spiritualists would eventually abandon the work as a medium and go to work directly within the feminist movement. So this movement was very informal. There wasn't like a church of spiritualism. There wasn't like, you know, a specific Bible of spiritualism. There were no pamphlets. There were just these shows that people went to and it you know you wanted to consistently be trying to contact your deceased family members More like, a, like a word of mouth kind of a thing yeah like, oh, did it's you just hear about this like a fad mm-hmm. you know it's just a fad it's like you know the juice cleanse or whatever 
shit people are on these days. <laughs> the keto diet right now. Good Lord. I mean, <laughs> if I don't see the word keto a hundred fucking times a day. So by the late 1880s, the credibility of the informal movement had weakened due to accusations of fraud. Uh, I guess the point is that by the late 1880s, people started to become skeptical and oh, think yeah. that this was all a hoax and all a fraud. So there were formal organizations that began to appear to legitimize in a way, the work of these these mediums. Spiritualism is still currently practiced today, primarily through various denominational churches in the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom. But the idea that one could communicate with the dead is hardly a new concept. Uh, the Bible contains hundreds of references to angels administering to man. And um, the movement known as modern spiritualism sprang from several different revolutionary philosophies and characters. Mm -hmm. Well, people have been trying to contact the dead for thousands of years. Of course. Of course. It's, I think, you know, human nature is to always, you know, be curious about death and the beyond and want to make good decisions in your life and want guidance Absolutely. in a way to figure out how to best make those decisions. Mm -hmm. So one guy that I'm going to talk about is a man named Andrew Jackson Davis, who became known as the John the Baptist of modern spiritualism. He actually combined two different ideologies to create this um, message um, that he put out in a book called The Principles of Nature, Her Divine Revelations, and a Voice to Mankind. So in that book, he actually predicted that someone would come along that would make the spiritual communication between the living and dead, and dead possible in this book. So when he heard about the Fox sisters, he believed that his... The medium. Yeah. That this is this is it. This is my prediction coming true. And he jumped right on it. So he heard about the big show in Rochester and how they weren't able to be debunked and about the house in Hydesdale. And he invited the sisters to his house in New York City to witness their medium capabilities for himself. And joining his cause with the sisters' ghostly manifestations actually elevated his stature from like a complete weirdo prophet um, to the leader of a mass movement, one that appealed to increasing numbers of Americans inclined to reject the gloomy Calvinistic jo uh, doctrine of predestination and embrace the open-minded optimism of the mid-19th century. You know, gilded age, everything's getting better. You know, people aren't wanting to be held back by their religion. They're wanting to celebrate life. And, you know, they're going on vacations and they're buying fancy dresses and everything around them is changing yeah they're yeah. adapting to all a whole new society they're like look here's the civil war here's the abolition of slavery here's you know i don't know electricity the phone the telegraph manifest destiny like everything's changing every day but as well as disasters you have these floods hurricanes these all these things that are going right. on around too so you know it's just just like with any other time in history when Technology moves forward very quickly and things change very quickly. It changes everyone's outlook. And that's mm -hmm. – you'll always notice that that's when major changes in religion and the way people believe. Because things adapt so fast and people are at, feel out of control. Yeah. And they feel that if they have this religion and it's this one thing they always have to follow, then it's something that they can control. Uh, the one thing that spiritualism gave people was this idea that they had a hand in their own salvation and that this direct communication with – the dead and spirits was it offered insight and would help them with their ultimate fate of their souls. So they believed that, you know, they had divine mm -hmm. answers about their future. So that's spiritualism, spiritualism, feminism, 
These two chicks. All the isms. All the isms. These two chicks. These two. <laughs> these two foxes. <laughs> these two foxy fox ladies. Um, they're not even ladies at this point. They're like know, they're, they're like legitimately children. They're like eleven and fourteen years old. Oh no! But by the time, like you said, yeah. it was like eighteen ninety. Oh yeah, they're a little bit older. Well, wait, wait till you hear where they're at by eighteen ninety. So we're getting on, getting back into it. I was nervous when you first started. Like when when you said eleven and fourteen, I was like, oh no, yeah. <laughs> oh, nothing good really comes from uh, child celebrities. Mm-hmm. Let's just. Know that right out the gate. All right. So Maggie, Kate, and Leah embarked on a professional tour to spread the word of the spirits, booking a suite fittingly at Thornham's Hotel on the corner of Broadway and Maiden Lane. So they have this giant room in Barnum's Hotel. And Barnum's Hotel actually not owned by P.T. Barnum, but his cousin. Different Um, Barnum. Yep, different Barnum. In this hotel, they conducted their sessions in the hotel's parlor, inviting as many as 30 attendees to gather around large tables at the hours of 10 a.m., 5 p.m., and 8 p.m., and taking occasional private meetings in between. Admission was $1, and visitors included preeminent members of New York society, such as Horace Greeley, who was, at that time, he was the editor of the New York Tribune, James Fenimore Cooper, editor and poet William Cullen Bryant, and abolitionist William Garrison, who all of these people witnessed a session in which spirits rapped in time to a popular song and spelled out the message, spiritualism will work miracles in the cause of reform. They tapped that out. They did. Took them three hours to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Probably. And I mean, somebody had to be counting the knocks. So it's like, no. one, That's two, three, six. four, D, right. yeah. two, <laughs> eight, I. It's like the escape room. Yes, it is. Um, so Leah stayed in New York in te- uh, entertaining callers in the seance room while Kate and Maggie took their show to other cities, among them Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus, St. Louis, Washington, D.C., and Philadelphia. And it was there in Philadelphia that one visitor, explorer, it says Alicia, but I it's a guy. So That's fine. I've, Alicia I've Kent Kane succumbed to Maggie's charms. At this point, I wish I knew what year it was because I'm like, how old was she? Like 17? Anywho, let's just Oof. not think about how weird it was back then to mm-hmm. for old men to be marrying children. It just grosses mm-hmm. me out real hard. Mm-hmm. So he succumbed to her charms, <laughs> even though he thought that she was a fraud. Although he couldn't prove how the sounds were actually made, he didn't believe that. It was real. So what he wanted was he wanted Maggie to stop doing this work, and he wanted her to go back to school. And so eventually he encouraged her to give up this uh, life of dreary sameness and suspected deceit. He was like, you're too good for this. Like, just let me make an honest woman of you, baby. You know? Gross. Yeah. The way you said that. <laughs> you know, because you just know how, like, but you know how, like, condescending the whole idea is that, like, mm-hmm. she's doing this work and he comes along and is like, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. I can make a better life for you. And it's like, all right, well. But, like, I, I make great. a buck a session. Hello. A buck from each person. Exactly. Yeah. Hello. They were making money. Three times a day. Yeah. These bitches were printing money. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. But she acquiesced, retired, retiring, and attended school at Kane's behest and expense. And she married him shortly before his untimely death in 1857. So, not yeah. long. 
No. Mm -mm. To honor his memory, she converted to Catholicism. As Cain, who, even though he was a Presbyterian, he had always encouraged her to become Catholic because he thought that the ornate iconography and the mystery would appeal to her. Like, the kind of mysterious nature of Catholicism. It just sounds like he was, like, not only was he a skeptic about what she believed that she could do, but he was embarrassed by it. Yeah. And so it's just, ugh. But yet he had to have her. He had to he own had her. He had to. I don't like anything you do whatsoever, and I don't support you in any way. But I love you. <laughs> it's like the worst relationship you have in your early 20s. Exactly. Which makes you sense know? for her. Because it's like, oh. Because she I'm, is in her early yeah. 20s. And you think that oh. you can change and become better, become who they want you to be. Mm-hmm. And that's it's so much of this little I think snippet of her I life. I think that's what really attracted him to her, too. Like, oh, I can mold this woman. Because she's 13 years younger than him. I want, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. In her morning, she began to drink heavily and vowed to keep her promise to Cain and wholly and forever abandoned spiritualism. So she gave up what she liked. She did. She gave it right up. After he died. But she just drank until she drank a lot. But Kate, her sister, other opposite direction. She married a devout spiritualist and continued to develop her medium powers, translating spirit messages in astonishing and unprecedented ways. She was the younger one, right? She was the 11-year-old? Yes, she was the 11-year-old. She began translating spirit messages in astonishing and unprecedented ways, communicating two messages simultaneously, writing one while speaking the other. Wow. Transcribing messages in reverse script, utilizing blank cards upon which suddenly uh, script would spontaneously appear. Multitasker. Yeah. During these sessions, a wealthy banker, Charles Livermore, was there, and she summoned the man's deceased wife and the ghost of Benjamin Franklin, who announced his identity by writing his name on a card. Like, hey, I'm here. What's up? (laughs) Yeah, it's like, it's just BF in the house. (laughs) BF, what's up? (laughs) Tell me everything. Tell me why there's bones in your basement. (laughs) So, uh, what's up with this key? Yeah. Yeah. What's going on? Let's talk about electricity, brother. Um, So, her business boomed, especially after the Civil War, because so many people had passed away that the bereaved were desperate. I can't even imagine. Right. So, she was really raking it in. After that. A dollar after dollar after dollar. After yeah. <laughs> so this is like right around the time that like it gets really booming. This is when we're talking millions of people are involved in this um, by the 1880s. And Kate was summoning full-fledged apparitions at every seance by this point. And it's just her though now, right? Because her sister is out of yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So the, there were three total sisters. One... Leah was the, the oldest old one who lived yeah. in Rochester. She kind of did her own thing separately. She's one who went on to be like part of the feminist movement. Like you look her up, she's kind of does her own thing. Um, there was Maggie who went off and married the like douchebag who wouldn't let her do anything she wanted anymore. And then you have Kate. And Kate gets really into like the full spectacle of it. Like she's now full-fledged apparitions at every show. And it became very wearying both to the movement and to Kate herself. Absolutely, and yeah. she began to drink. Hmm. On October 21st, 1888, the New York World published an interview with Maggie Fox in anticipation of her appearing that night at the New York Academy of Music, where she would publicly denounce spiritualism. She was paid $1,500 for the exclusive interview. Her main motivation, however, was not money, but rather rage at her sister Leah and other leading spiritualists who had publicly chastised baby sister Kate for her drinking and accused her of being unable to care for her young children. Kate planned to be in the audience that night when Maggie gave her speech. 
So, you know, Maggie's just pissed off that people are being mean to her little sister. Mm-hmm. Right? And one of the people being mean to her little sister is her right, older sister. Yeah. So, you know, a little bit of family drama. So, middle child, um, man. Middle child. So, quote from Maggie. My sister Katie and myself were young children when this horrible deception began, Maggie said. At night when we went to bed, we used to tie an apple on a string and move the string up and down, causing the apple to bump on the floor. And we would drop the apple on the floor, making strange noises every time it would rebound. The sisters graduated from apple dropping to manipulating their knuckles, joints, toes to make rapping noises. A great many people, when they hear the rapping, imagine that the spirits are touching them. Uh, She explained, it's a very common delusion. Some very wealthy people came to see me for many years. And when I lived on 42nd Street, I did some rappings for them. I made the spirit rap on a chair and one of the ladies cried out, I feel the spirit tapping on my shoulder. Of course, all of that was purely the imagination of the participant. She offered a demonstration, removing her shoe and placing her right foot upon a wooden stool. The room fell silent and still and was rewarded with a number of short little raps. There stood a black-robed, sharp-faced widow, working her big toe, solemnly declaring that it was in this way that she created the excitement that had driven so many people to suicide and insanity. So Maggie insisted that her sister knew that it was fake the whole time, that Leah knew, um, and that she actually went along with the fake and actually was exploiting them as like child workers. Before exiting the stage, she thanked God that she was able to expose spiritualism. So the mainstream press called this the death blow to the movement and spiritualists quickly took sides. So whatever her motive, a year later, Maggie said that she was lying and that she was a real. I take it back. I take it all back. Insisting that her spirit guides had beseeched her to do so. Her reversal promptly prompted even more disgust from devoted spiritualists. They just wanted no part of her. So she started using pseudonyms and trying to perform under those pseudonyms to like make some money, but she didn't ever really uh, do much with that. So she never reconciled with her sister Leah. Leah died in 1890. Kate died two years later while on a massive drinking spree. And Maggie passed away eight months after that in March of 1893. That year, spiritualisms, uh, spiritualists formed the National Spiritualist Association, which today is known as the National Spiritualist Association of Churches. Remember we talked about the bones? So that's Mm -hmm. sort of like the terrible story, right? Like, it's just ruined their lives. These women's lives were ruined. They died pretty young. I mean, I guess in their 40s, it's probably around... together. Yeah, they died within a year of each other. Like, they're all gone. So in 1904, school children playing in the sisters' childhood home in Huntsville, locally known as the Spook House... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> discovered discovered the majority of a skeleton between the earth and the crumbling cedar walls. A doctor was consulted, who estimated that the bones were about 50 years old, giving credence to the sister's tale of spiritual message from a, messages from a murdered peddler. So now it's in the walls? Though many people still didn't buy it, and they were like, you know what? They're just using like an old story, an old local tale to get by with what this. What else is in this basement? I know. It's like, Jesus. Um, Five years after that, another doctor examined the skeleton and determined that it was made up of only a few ribs and odds and ends of bones. And among them was a superabundance of some of and a deficiency of others. Among them were also some chicken bones. He also reported a rumor that a man living near the spook house had planted the bones as a practical joke and was too ashamed to come clean. 
So, yeah. And no missing person was ever found that under the name of that Charles Rosna. Um, so, so no bones were found until 1904. That was all part of so like... So when, ra- when he rasped out his name, it was just a name that they made up. They just made it up. And so there was never any... There was never any peddler, um, and the bones that were in the house were likely planted many, many years later, were probably taken from a grave, so... Someone's backyard, and... Yeah. So it was just two sisters who... Yeah, another person who was wholeheartedly... Like to have a little fun. Yeah. They were literally playing a joke on their mother, probably, (laughs) and then it just, it went Like, hey, let's see if we can get the neighbor involved, and then boom, that was it. It just went too far. And then their sister got involved, and she's like, I'm going to introduce you to these famous people, and then these famous people are going to rent a hall for you, and now you're at, like, some guy's house in Manhattan, and now And now Meg and Kate are like, oh, fuck. Yeah, like, (laughs) imagine, like, this, like, you're 11 years old, the lies that you tell when you're 11 for attention because you're just a weirdo, because 11-year-olds are weird, and it just takes off like that, and you're like, I never expected that to happen, I'm sorry, but it seems like it kind of destroyed their whole lives. Um, another person who was wholeheartedly against this movement was um, actually Houdini. He actually spent a lot of his time debunking spiritualists. But he spent time with Mary or Sarah Winchester in the Winchester mm-hmm. house. And they had that little seance for him and he was there frequent. Oh, he went to seances constantly because mm-hmm. he didn't – he wanted to believe in them, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. He was such a skeptic that he would go and just be trying to find – like how it was a trick. So he outed them pretty early. He was like, he was like, you notice that the sounds always seem to be coming from under their dresses, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's like, it's pretty obvious. Um, But they were like the inspiration that lit this fire for spiritualism that was already kind of going on, but they became very famous and it really took off. And they're the inspiration that eventually came to, like, the Ouija board. Yeah, that's pretty cool. All of these things. I just think that they, they were able to give a voice for people who were afraid to acknowledge that they believed in something like this. I didn't realize the connection between spiritualism and feminism. I actually thought that was really interesting to hear, like, that women kind of did it to, like, get out of their shitty lives. I know. I'm just imagining, like, in, in what, uh, 1848, right? Yeah. And um, they're like, okay, everyone's fed. My husband and my five children, all right, I'm going to leave. I have a meeting down the block, a spiritual meeting. I'll see you later. And, like, they leave for hours. And yeah. it's okay with them because it's a religion base. It's, it's religious. It's great. Anyway. So that is the story of the Fox sisters and the beginning of American spiritualism. Just another notorious narrative. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, there are a couple of things that you can do to help us out. You can leave a positive review wherever you're listening now. You can also go to patreon.com forward slash notorious narratives, where you can access content that is exclusive for our patrons. And remember, keep it weird and never stop exploring.